Well, hey, welcome back to my home. I thank you for joining us to worship our great God today. You know, what a powerful experience we had last Sunday on Easter. Whether you were with us in the Eastland Mall parking lot or joined us from online, I hope that you felt the Spirit of God just really moving powerfully as we gathered many congregations as one church to worship our risen Savior. You know, what a powerful moment that was, and it really has been an answer to the prayers over many, many, many years for God's church here in Evansville to be unified as one. And last weekend, we were just honored to be part of that. And I want to say a big thank you to the local congregations that were part of Easter together last Sunday at the Eastland Mall. I also want to thank our staff for just being so flexible and adaptive as we put that service together quickly. And finally, thank you to all those who volunteered to help make that event just something special last weekend. It really, really was a, a gift from God. You know, there were over 15 congregations represented last week as we gathered for worship. We estimate that there was 1,150 cars parked in the parking lot. Over 11,000 people joined online to worship with us. And there were like 2,239 comments or likes or shares about the service online. But what we're most excited about is that 40 people responded to the invitation to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we want you to know that that's why we did Easter together last Sunday. And also we want you to know that each one of those people are being followed up with by one of the local congregations. We give glory to God for all he did last week on Easter as the unified body of Christ joined together for worship. You know, I also hope that you're healthy. I hope that you and your family are, are really walking through this COVID-19 situation with, with faith, wisdom, and, and, and health, but also that you're taking the time to love those around you. I just want to thank our church family for the way that you're responding. You know, one way is through the Need a Neighbor platform at needaneighbor.org. We've had over 96 people from our church family sign up as a volunteer who've been actively serving those in need, whether they be from our congregation or those from our community. We also wanted to let you know that we're almost halfway to our goal of the relief fund. We set a goal for of $250,000 to be raised in the month of April, and we're nearing the halfway point. And I want to encourage you to be generous as we think about how we can love uh, the neighbors around us. You can make a donation toward the relief fund by going to cccgo.com slash COVID-19. There you'll find information about the way that Crossroads is responding to the COVID-19 situation. You'll find opportunities to serve there. You can also make a contribution to the relief fund there. We ask you to, to give that gift above and beyond your normal tithes and offerings. You know, related to that, I am grateful that we were proactive and began minimizing our level of expenses as a church a couple of weeks prior to the COVID-19 kind of being in, in full force. And so that's allowed us to weather this storm financially so far. And we want to ask you that you would continue to be faithful with your tithes and offerings. You can give uh, to Crossroads to continue to further the ministry that God's called us to. And also above and beyond that, give generously to the, the, the relief fund so that we can continue to participate with the needaneighbor.org platform. One specific way we're asking everybody to uh, be generous is by collecting household and cleaning items that we could distribute to those who are asking for those 
through the needandneighbor.org platform. And also our local partners are finding those items hard to find. And so if you would go to cccgo.com forward slash COVID-19 and look at the list of the items that we're asking you to uh, to purchase and to either bring to the church or let us know. We'll come pick them up at your home. We want to collect those and be able to distribute those who are looking for those items, both our local partners and those who are expressing their needs through needaneighbor.org. Right now, I just want to pray. I want to ask God uh, just to continue to move powerfully through his church And I also want to thank him for what he's doing. Would you join me in prayer? God, thank you for who you are. And thank you for being with us through this COVID-19 situation. Thank you for the good that is happening. God, we give you glory and praise for all that you did last week as we celebrated Easter together at Eastland Mall and online. God, thank you for the 40 people who responded to the free gift of salvation that's found in Jesus. And I pray each one of them would continue to walk with you all the days of their life. And they would continue to live their life as they uh, find an example found in Jesus. I pray that our church here in Evansville could come alongside them and equip them to live and love like you. And God, I want to ask you that you would continue to prompt our hearts to be generous during this time. Generous with our time. Generous with our our money. God, generous with the opportunities that you create so that we could uh, be the hands and feet of Jesus in this community. And God, I pray that you would continue to minister to anyone who is struggling physically from the COVID-19 virus. God, I also pray that you would help all of us as we're struggling emotionally or or maybe even mentally, even, even spiritually, feeling challenged during this time. And God, I ask that you would continue to put your hedge of protection and your blessing on all those on the front line, our healthcare workers, our government leaders, our law enforcement uh, agencies, and, and those who are first responders. God, protect them, bless them, work powerfully through them. God, we're asking you to put a stop to this COVID-19 virus from spreading any further. And God, that you would help us in the midst of it to be healthy, strong, full of faith, and be loving toward those around us. And God, we pray you'd be honored and glorified in all this. We pray through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today we are beginning a new teaching series in our year-long journey through the book of John. And we've entitled this series, Jesus Is. We're continuing to discover how we can live and love like Jesus. You know, as we walk with Jesus through his earthly ministry, as we hear his teaching, as we see him interact with people, we can get a clearer picture of his identity as well as his mission. We've encouraged you to take a journal all through this series and and to be kind of writing down the things that we are discovering about Jesus so that we could respond out of obedience, but we also can share that with others. And today we're going to find one of the most profound Christological statements about Jesus, about his identity that's made in the entire New Testament. And what's so cool about it, it's something that Jesus made about himself. You know, during this season, we're looking for hope and we're looking for direction. And I want you to know that Jesus is the one who brings us the true meaning of hope and can bring us identity and direction as we walk through this COVID-19 situation. You know, we are returning to an encounter that Jesus is having. It's kind of already in progress. It's recorded in John chapter 5. So we mentioned earlier in our services, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to get a copy of God's Word to you. You can let us know that you're interested. We'll also bring you a journal so you can follow along with us as we continue through this year-long study of John. Today with with me, would you turn to John chapter 5? 
Jesus had, had traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate a religious festival, and he visited a well-known location that was called Bethesda. It was a, a place where invalids, those with a physical disability, would gather under the five porches that were there. And they surrounded a pool. Superstition said that this pool was stirred by an angel, and when the waters were stirred, the first person into the water would be healed. We don't have any proof that that may have ever happened, but when Jesus visited Bethesda that day, he healed a man who was paralyzed, who had been paralyzed for 38 years. Jesus notices him. He responds to his physical needs. He addresses his spiritual condition. And all this happened on the Sabbath, which got him in pretty hot water with the religious leaders of the day because they interrogated this man who had been healed and they asked him, who told you to carry your mat on the Sabbath? And when he pointed that it was Jesus who told him to do that, the religious leaders turned their interrogation to Jesus. And Jesus addresses their concern by sharing what the real purpose of the Sabbath is. And then he makes some very powerful declarations about his identity and his mission. And that's where we want to enter the encounter today. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 16 and 18. John says, Because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling himself uh, one with the Father, making himself equal with God. This moment in Jesus' life reminds me of a, the story of a man who was, who was on hard times, and he found himself living out in the woods. And to feed himself, he would just kind of scavenger around in the woods. And one day he caught a seagull and he decided to make that his dinner. And so he took off all the feathers and he began roasting that seagull over the fire. Well, as he did, the, the campfire light attracted a game warden. And the game warden came to the man and asked him what he was doing. He talked to him about his hard times, and, and the game warden asked him what he was roasting, and to which the man confessed he had captured and killed a seagull. If you don't know, that's actually a federal offense. And so the game warden began to pull out his ticket and uh, write up the man for his crime. And so the, the man pleaded his case and, and begged the game warden to show him some mercy. And because of the situation, the warden decided to, to only write him a warning. But as he got ready to leave away from the campfire, he, he turned back to the man and curiosity kind of got the best of him. He says, you know, by the way, what does seagull taste like? And the man said, well, I think somewhere between spotted owl and, and, and bald eagle. You know, Jesus right now, he, he finds uh, him right in the attack of these religious leaders. It's ratcheted up several notches because Jesus not only violated their man-made rules about the Sabbath, but he inferred that he was equal with God. Jesus, he doesn't back down one bit. In fact, listen as we continue reading what Jesus says to them. John chapter 5, now in verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son, and he shows him all that he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. 
Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgments to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. Jesus begins his response to the religious leaders with these words, Very truly, I tell you. It's as if Jesus is saying, I'm telling you the truth here. My son, Cade, when he gets excited about uh, something and he wants to tell it to us, he really is uh, passionate and really excited. And then he'll say, like, seriously, seriously, over and over. What Jesus is revealing in himself is his true identity. And it separates Christianity from all other religions. It is central to the Christian faith. It's the basis of the great confession that Peter made and that we all express when we come to that place where we want to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. The great confession is that I believe that you, Jesus, are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus describes this relationship of sameness with the Father as, as, as being synced perfectly according to the original language. You know, we've seen this theme from the opening verses of John, and it's echoed throughout the New Testament. Jesus is fully God. He is the same in character, in power, and in purpose. You know, there's an apprentice relationship that seems to be referred to here between the Father and Son. And I think it might harken back to the relationship that Jesus had with his earthly father, Joseph, who taught him carpentry. But it also reflects in the relationship that Jesus has with his heavenly Father. Jesus says the Son does only what he sees the Father doing. In verse 30, he says, I seek only to please him. And this leads me to a discussion question. I want you to take a few minutes to discuss. Maybe if you're watching with us, uh, worshiping with us through, uh, through with your family, I would encourage you to take a few minutes and discuss this. If you're worshiping with us by yourself right now, maybe take out a journal and, and answer this question, or maybe put it there in the chat or in the, in the discussion with us on Facebook. Here's the question. What is something that you have learned from a parent, a teacher, or a mentor that has served you well in life so far? Take a few minutes and discuss that right now.
I was a senior in high school, my senior English teacher gave us a writing prompt that she wanted to hear from us what was the most useful class we had ever had in high school. And an answer came to me immediately. It was typing that I learned as a freshman. You know, when I was a freshman in high school, we learned to type on a typewriter. And if you're under the age of 30, I need to tell you that a typewriter is a machine where you would insert paper into the back and you would type letters and the print would actually show up right there on the white piece of paper. I learned to type on a typewriter and uh, it was at well, 14 years old when I learned to type. I didn't know then that I would use typing the rest of my entire life, almost every day. You know, Jesus describes and models a beautiful picture of dependence on God and complete submission to God. The love relationship between God the Father and God the Son is, is mutual as well as it's fruitful. God has entrusted some very important responsibilities, some significant work to the Son, Jesus. The first is this, that He gives Him the power and authority to give life. Verse 21 and verse 26 of Matthew 5 speak that both the Father and the Son are the source of life. In the Old Testament, God was seen as the source of life. He was the one who was the one who sustains life. It was also often described as, as God breathing into that person. Well, John tells us that Jesus is also the source of life. John 1 verse 4 says that in him was life. In the same way that Jesus turned the water into wine or that he healed the soldier's son as he gave the man who was paralyzed the ability to walk. And as we'll see that Jesus eventually raises Lazarus from the dead, Jesus brings life. Life here, as in most of John, it speaks to not just physical life, but more importantly, spiritual life or eternal life. John 3, verse 36, records Jesus telling Nicodemus, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And John eleven twenty five 25, records Jesus saying that I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live. That's what makes Easter something we just don't celebrate one day a year, but every day of the year. And Paul has a lot to say about the resurrection of the dead and the power that Jesus has to give and bring life in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me read some of this for you, beginning in verse 1. Paul says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the other twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 5,000 of our brothers and sisters at the same time, most of who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then He appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, He appeared to me also." As to one abnormally born. Verse 12, Paul goes on to say this. If it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we have been found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. 
If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people should be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who've fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Because it's a fact that Jesus fully is God, and that he physically resurrected from the dead, he is the source and sustainer of life. He's the giver of eternal life, and we can find life in him. The Father also gave the responsibility of judging to the Son. Verse 22 and 27 speak to Jesus having the authority as judge. The Messiah was given the authority to judge. Uh, Isaiah 11 verses 1 through 5 speak about the Messiah, that the Spirit of the Lord will come upon him, and that he will give him wisdom and, 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 and righteousness, and also for him to be able to judge. Jesus has been appointed judge of humankind because he is fully God, but also because he is fully human. The title Son of God speaks to his identity as fully God, and Son of Man speaks to his full humanity, and this is significant. John uses the phrase Son of Man 80 times in his gospel, and he wants us to understand that Jesus has the ability to relate to us, and we can also relate to him. Both being fully God and fully man, give Jesus the authority to judge. The first reference of this Son of Man actually comes in Daniel chapter 7. I would encourage you to take some time today or this week to read through Daniel 7. It's a picture of the righteous judge sitting on his throne, and that person is Jesus. Peter speaks about Jesus' authority to judge in what he's uh, preaching in Acts chapter 10. Listen to what, what Peter says beginning in verse 34. Peter began to speak and said, I realize now how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what he is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know that what happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went along around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did, Peter says, in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God has appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. As the giver of life and judge, we come to understand that Jesus is a pretty big deal. So big that, again, Jesus, who Jesus is, separates Christianity from all of the religions. There are many other religions that claim to have the same God as Christians. And, we, and many of them acknowledge that Jesus is a, a good man, even a holy man, a wise teacher or a prophet. But that is not sufficient enough. John 5, verse 23, Jesus says, Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. 
know, last week was the holy week for us Christians as we celebrated the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This week, we're in the middle of Passover, the, the holy season for the Jews. And this coming week actually starts the holy celebration for Muslims called Ramadan. While Islam claims to share the same God, they do not acknowledge Jesus as God. For several years, our church family has prayed passionately and fervently for our Muslim neighbors here locally, regionally, and even throughout the world. And for many years, we've been purposely praying that God would reveal himself as Jesus to them. And so today we want to invite you to take the next 30 days to join millions of believers all around the world who are praying for Muslims during Ramadan. You can go to cccgo.com forward slash 30 days prayer. And you can find there a prayer guide that will help guide you through these 30 days of prayer. It might be a good way to spend some extra time you have while we're all remaining at home. You know, all of us have been a little distracted or even misguided at times about where life is truly found. Maybe you've seen some of the t-shirts or bumper stickers that are popular in our day. It says like, ball is life or golf is life. I even saw one that says salsa is life, talking about the dance, not the food item. You know, where are you finding life? I hope that you find clarity and also a promise in the hope that Jesus says in, in, Matthew, or in John 5, verse 24. He says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. You know, this crossing over is kind of like the picture of a bridge from one side to the other. And I've seen lots of gospel presentations that talk about us being over here in our sin and over here being holy in God's sight. And the bridge that takes us from here to there is actually the cross of Jesus Christ. This statement by Jesus is a very clear line of declaration. Jesus says in Matthew 7 that the person who hears and obeys his word is like a wise builder who builds his house on a rock and it withstands the storm of life. Jesus is described by Peter as a, a cornerstone that, that keeps the building square and straight. And Jesus declares in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The one who gives life and judges is full of life. He is the same. He has the authority to judge and to acquit. And he speaks of not only how to escape death, but also how to escape judgment. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 5, now reading in verse 28. Jesus says, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. You know, Jesus is not stating that people who do good works are saved, but instead the opposite. People who are saved do good works. The best work that Jesus talks about is believing in who he is. When we find true life in Jesus and his identity, we are changed and we join his mission. 
You know, many have asked how the hellers are kind of passing the time as we are remaining at home and practicing social distancing, especially without sports and not even having the NCAA tournament. Well, we've revisited some of our favorite TV shows, one of those being Survivor. We started watching Survivor 20 years ago when we lived in Evansville the first time. And some of our favorite stars of that show are actually competing right now for $2 million in what's been called the, the uh, Winners at War. But we also have found a new TV series that we are really enjoying, and it's called The Chosen. The Chosen is actually a portrayal of the life and ministry of Jesus. And you can find it by visiting the website vidangel.com. And there you can download an app, and it will actually have all of the eight uh, episodes of this first series. You know, The Chosen is the number one crowdfunded media project in history. It has grossed over $11 million dollars by more than 16,000 investors who were really committed to, to sharing the life and ministry of Jesus through this powerful TV series. It's been uh, watched in 148 countries. It's been translated in 52 different languages. And what I love the most about it is how it portrays Jesus. But I also love the powerful stories of transformation that it, that it displays. Stories of Mary Magdalene, of, of Matthew, of Simon Peter, and actually even of Nicodemus. You know, when we recognize who Jesus is and we experience true life in him, it changes us. And that leads me to another discussion question I'd like for you to talk about with your family or to chat about here on Facebook. Who is someone that you know personally that whose life's been just dramatically, radically changed because they've come to know Jesus? Would you share that person's name and, and how their life has changed right now? John describes the radical change that takes place in a person's life when they have come to find life in Jesus. Actually, in his later epistle that he wrote to the church, 1 John chapter 3, listen what John says. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now that we're children of God, and what we will be has not been yet made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or knows him. 
Dear children, do not anyone let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been made born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Now in verse 14, he says this, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Our salvation is a free gift. And our good deeds reflect that we have been saved. The Bible is clear that we will be judged by the way that we love and serve others. Jesus came the first time to this earth to bring life. But when he comes back, he will come to judge. And that's why he says in Matthew 25 that when he comes to judge, he'll separate those who served others and those who did not. Like a shepherd separates sheep from goats. James 1 verse 27 defines what true religion that God accepts looks like. It's it's that that looks after those in need and is not polluted by the world. How we live indicates where we have found life. Jesus is the source of life. We find true life in Him and we fully live when we live like Him. You know, Jesus closes uh, this interaction with the religious leaders with a really strong challenge that I think we need to look at before we quit today. John chapter 5 verse 31. Listen to Jesus' final words here. He says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose to enjoy that light for a time. I have testimony weightier than John. For the works that my Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, they testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has testified concerning me. You have never heard His voice, nor seen His form, nor does His word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept the glory from humans, beings. But I know you and I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the one and only God? But do you think I will accuse you before the Father? Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Jesus points out to the religious leaders that He is the source of all life, that Scripture, even Moses, who they held in high regard, all point to. They rejected Jesus as Messiah and Savior. They rejected Him as life and the life He offers. They're living for themselves and for their own glory, and that leads to death. 
And they stand accused because of their lack of faith in Him. J. Vernon McGee says that these men never let up until they cross their arms beneath His cross. Jesus' words to them stand as a strong warning, not just to them, but also to us. We must believe who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. And when we do, we cross over from death to life, spiritually, eternally, and immediately. Jesus says multiple times in this passage in John chapter 5 that a time is coming and is here now. When you and I begin to live differently, we live as Jesus lived and we love like He loved. And His life becomes evident in us. You know, crisis, it has a way of kind of forcing us to wrestle with where true meaning is found in life. And as things are taken away from us, maybe like job loss or even just the sense of normalcy, it can be an indicator of where we actually are finding life and meaning. Jesus is life. Have you found life in Jesus? Are you letting His life live in you? You know, if you're looking for true life anywhere else, you won't find it. There are lots of ways to die, but there is only one way to live. Jesus gives life now and eternally. And once you and I have embraced that reality, His life should become evident in ours by the way that we live and by the way that we love. The Great Confession is the way to begin living right now. And the Great Commission is the way to continue God's mission in the world today, loving and serving others in Jesus' name, helping them see Jesus by reflecting His life in the world. Let's pray together. God, thank you for sending Jesus, who is our life. He brings life. He brings hope. He brings peace. He brings direction. And God, I pray that we would surrender and direct our entire lives to him and in him. And God, I pray just like the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and filled him with the power to live the life you called him to, I pray that that same Holy Spirit would fill our hearts, that we would come to not just acknowledge, but we would embrace who Jesus is as Messiah, as Savior, as life. And God, I pray that as we do that, God, our lives would be changed by him, by the Holy Spirit working in us, and that we would live and love differently than the world does, that we would be found born, given life by God, by the way that we live with purity and also with compassion on those around us. And God, I pray that as we live and love like Jesus, that people would come to know Him and find life in His name. And God, I pray that You would continue to empower us to live as people of hope and, and people with the gospel message, the good news that Jesus brings eternal life and true life is found in Him. And I pray that as people find Jesus, that their life would be transformed by Him. And God, I pray that you would make that a reality beginning right here, right now, today. And I pray that through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.